Good morning. I'm Emily. I'm one of the pastors here. Good morning, Commitment Class. Um, over the next couple of months, uh, as a congregation, we are slowly and deliberately walking through the 23rd Psalm, which is this poetic prayer about God as a shepherd that was written by King David of Israel, who happened to be a shepherd before he was a king. And so we want this to work its way through our mouths, through our memory, through our hearts and our prayers. And so to get at that each week, we are going to be saying Psalm 23 all together. So I'd invite you to stand. And together we are going to say the 23rd Psalm. You can follow along on the screens. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. You may be seated. So today, we're just focusing on the very first part of verse 3, which is four little words. He refreshes my soul. Now, when I hear that phrase, he refreshes my soul, I think of something like a spa day where I have like some cucumbers on my eyes and like some lemon water and like probably some kind of like mud skin treatment with the word detoxify in it or something like that. And well, I think that sounds amazing for real. Um, I think it just scratches the surface of the kind of soul refreshment that Psalm 23 is talking about. When I was five years old, I got really sick with croup, which is um, when an infection causes your airway to swell. And in little kids who have little airways, that can quickly turn into something pretty dangerous. And I very clearly remember waking up in the middle of the night and I was struggling to breathe. And I went into my parents' bedroom and I got their attention and I was like, I'm struggling to breathe. And they like got out of bed, you know, called the doctor. Um, I could tell that they were scared. I was scared. Eventually, Eventually, they were like, you need to bring her to the hospital. And so I went to the hospital. I stayed overnight. Um, I can confirm that the jello was awesome and that the needles were not. And um, But what was so good about that is that at the hospital, I was able to get the kind of treatment and medication and attention that I needed that matched the severity of the illness that I actually had. My body and my airway were sick, and I needed a kind of a big intervention. When Psalm 23 says he refreshes my soul, it doesn't necessarily mean something like a spa day. It means something more like life-saving treatment at a hospital. The Hebrew, the original language, actually suggests that God is doing something really strong for a very serious situation. Um, a better English translation of this might actually be something like, he restores my life. Um, the word for refresh that David uses here is like when you take something that's been damaged or broken and you bring it back 
to its original wholeness or goodness. You mend it, you repair it, you restore it. You see, a refresh is just like a new coat of paint on the house, but a restore is whenever you like gut the plumbing and you put in all new electrical. Uh, a refresh is like what I do 10 times before I come speak up here, which is like clear my throat, I, take, I drink lots of water. A restoration is giving somebody life-saving medication when their throat is closing up. Restoration goes deep because the need is deep. And then there's that word translated as soul. He refreshes my soul. Um, It's the Hebrew word nephesh. And while we tend to think of our soul as like the non-physical part of ourselves, of, of who we are, nephesh in Hebrew, again, is a word that means a lot more than that. It literally means um, someone's throat, but it also means it's used to describe someone's whole being, the totality of their, of their life, their physical and their non-physical uh, being and parts of themselves. And it kind of makes sense, right? When you think of a throat, throat, um, a throat is a place of, of your life. It's where you breathe. It's where you eat. It's where you speak and interact with other people. And so someone's nephesh is the whole life of who they are. It's their physical, emotional, and spiritual parts of who they are. It's all of their life. And when you think about sheep, sheep are these beings who often frequently, over and over again, need their lives, their nephesh, restored. They get lost really easily. They can um, fall over and not be able to like get themselves upright again. Um, and when sheep get lost or fall over, they are super vulnerable to predators, to weather changes. They're more likely to get sick or injured. Their lives can be in danger. And so it's the shepherd's job to restore them by tracking them down, getting them right side up, carrying them home back to the flock where they can be cared for, nursing them back to health when they're sick. A core part of the shepherd's job and relationship towards the sheep is to restore their lives, their nephesh, over and over again. And Psalm 23 is saying that this is how God acts towards us. When God is our shepherd, he restores our nephesh. He restores our whole being. He brings us back to what we were originally made for. He makes it possible for us to breathe again. Literally, whenever we know that one day we'll have new bodies and spiritually starting now. The whole story of the Bible is about God's incredible commitment to restore what has been broken. At the very beginning, and I know this is part of what commitment class has been walking through, this whole story. At the very beginning, we see God created the world good, and he made human beings to live in joyful relationship with him, with each other, with the rest of creation. But human beings rejected God's goodness. They rebelled against him and brokenness entered the world. It damaged all of our relationship. And now these things called sin and death are part of our reality. And they're like these things that just constrict 
our ability to breathe in the good life that God wants for us and made us for. So what does that look like? I, it looks like, uh, you know, we struggle to want what God says is good for us. We hurt other people. We cause damage in the world. We think of ourselves um, pridefully and kind of arrogantly, like we're better than we are. And sometimes we think of ourselves more lowly than we are. We have low self-esteem and low self-worth. We are vulnerable to suffering. And ultimately, we die. We are not able to live into the original goodness that we were made for. And the Bible says that this is kind of like a dire situation that we're in. We can't get out of it on our own. We are lost and turned upside down and we can't get back up. And so like a good shepherd, God comes to find us and rescue us. And he does it in an absolutely extraordinary way. He sends his son, Jesus, to restore us through becoming one of us. There's a Scottish pastor named James Torrance, and he says it like this. I love this quote. Christ does not heal us as an ordinary doctor might by standing over against us, diagnosing our sickness, prescribing medicine for us to take, and then going away, leaving us to get better as we follow his instructions. No, he becomes the patient. Jesus restores our lives by entering into our brokenness, taking on our human bodies, struggling with temptation, uh, knowing what rejection and loneliness feels like, experiencing injustice, feeling really deep sadness and anguish and fear. And he ultimately dies on the cross, dying a human death. And so at our farthest point of being lost and at our lowest point of self-worth and our most helpless efforts to get ourselves back upright, Jesus enters in right there. And he lives a perfect life and he takes on our sin and he experiences our suffering and he dies our death. But he doesn't stay there because he passes through death victoriously, when God raises him from the grave three days later, and eventually Jesus shows up to his friends, and he shows them the marks of the old nails on his new hands. And so the death and resurrection of Jesus is God's assurance to us that the restoration of our whole beings, our nephesh, our physical and non-physical parts of ourselves, it has started. And one day it's going to be complete. Because as Paul says in Romans 8, 11, the one who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your human bodies also through his spirit that lives in you. Because Jesus was crucified and resurrected, I can count on God to restore my life in every way. Even if it's on the other side of death, God will restore my nephesh, just like he did with Jesus when he gives me a new body and a new heavens and a new earth. And so we know that that's the future that God is preparing for us, that we're all headed towards. But what does God's restoration look like in the in-between? What does it look like now um, until we get there? There's two things I want to say about that. 
First, it's easy to think that God's restoration is gonna make us look like we've never been broken or that we've never been hurt or that we've never struggled with anything. Um, But actually, God often restores us by transforming our brokenness, not erasing it. God's restoration in our lives actually looks really similar to what it looked like when Jesus, resurrected from the dead, showed up to his friends with those scars still in his hands. Those were signs of death and evil. Those were signs of things that you might think he'd want to forget. But instead, on the other side of resurrection, those became things that were monuments to God's victory, God's glory, God's ability to bring life. There's a a Japanese-American artist named Makoto Fujimura. This is his picture. He's a Christian, and he talks about, maybe you've heard of it, this Japanese art of kintsugi, which is where you take a broken piece of pottery and you repair it right at the point of its brokenness using a precious metal like platinum or gold. And Fujimura says the kintsugi master doesn't just throw away all the broken pieces of pottery, but he takes them and he makes them into something that is more beautiful and more precious than what existed before. And I think this is like an image of how God restores us by transforming our brokenness, pouring this precious, valuable, sacrificial love right into our very weakest points and making something beautiful with it. God restores us by transforming our brokenness, not just erasing it. And second, God's restoration is a thing that is happening, but it is not yet complete. It's started, but it's not finished. Like some of you today are gonna be, I was baptized when I was 15. I made a public declaration of my faith in this God who promises to restore. And when I think back to where I was then, um, there were actually some pretty significant places in my life where I needed God's restoration. Um, My parents had divorced five years earlier, but the ripple effects were still really uh, present in my life. It was really hard. Um, And I, at the same time, I was driven a lot by performance. I found some of my identity and perfectionism and good grades, but the flip side of that was I was starting to experience some anxiety. And if you were to ask me today, Emily, have you experienced God's restoration in these areas? I would say yes, and I would say I'm still waiting. On the one hand, there's been a lot of healing in my family and forgiveness, and my parents' divorce was actually like one of the things that really prompted my faith to grow a ton. And on the other hand, there's restoration that I still need. It's honestly, even you know, over 20 years later, still really stinks that my parents are divorced. I don't like that. Um, there are wounds and hurts and survival patterns that I learned that don't bring me life still. Um, and to be honest, there are days when every day, every hour, it feels like I have to surrender the anxiety that my brain and my body are feeling and remind myself God loves me apart from what I do, and God loves me apart from my ability to make other people happy. And that's why I love Psalm 23 here, because if you're a grammar nerd, you followed, it's present tense. He refreshes my soul. He restores 
my soul. Not he's done and it's all finished and, and I, I doesn't make sense then why I feel bad right now. And not he's gonna do it one day, but you don't know when and just hang on. It's happening right now. I have the evidence, but it's not done yet. There's a, a line in a song that I love that goes, if it's not okay, then it's not the end. And this right now is not okay. So I know that it's not the end. And commitment class, here's where I want to talk to you. There are going to be a lot of times in your life when <clears throat> following Jesus takes you to places that don't feel okay all the time. Life with Jesus is not this like vaccine that you get that means nothing hard is ever going to happen or that you're not going to struggle with sin or your own brokenness. But the good news is, is that you are with the one who promises to make it okay in the end. And he has the scars on his hands to prove it. Because life with the resurrected Jesus, who is our good shepherd, is about seeing all the ways that he will transform our brokenness into beauty and trusting that he will bring it to completion. Amen.